Hey guys, uh, we wanted to do a listener discretion at the beginning of this episode. It deals with very extreme descriptions of child abuse and violence. If these could be distressing or triggering for you, please proceed to the next episode. We also wanted to drop in some resources. If you or someone you know is uh, struggling with abuse, you can call the toll-free number for Kansas at 800-922-5330. And in Missouri, the toll-free number is 800-392-3738. And if you need information on a different state, you can visit Child welfare.gov. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We really hope you enjoy it. This is the What If I Told You podcast, a show where we sometimes cover very serious topics. Very, very serious. I think we should go ahead and just say that today's going to be rough. Real rough. But it is very important. I know a lot of people have heard about this topic, and we've just kind of noticed that not a lot of podcasts cover this. It's honestly really disappointing to me. It's definitely disappointing. I can understand why it might be something that people stay away from, but in the same hand, I don't understand why. Yes, it's a topic that is, no one wants to hear this story. No one wants to hear it. No one wants to tell it. No. But the reason these things happen is because People ignore the fact that it's happening. People ignore it. They're afraid to speak up. Yeah. And they just kind of go about their life pretending these things don't happen. Yeah. If it's not affecting them, they just ignore that it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay. Yeah. We're just going to start this out as usual with our our brekkie nook and our mail time and chips corner. And then we're going to just... Get real sad and dark later. Yeah. There really very seriously could be tears involved. Might break down a little. I have yet to get through this story without that happening. So we'll see. Yeah. I think every true crime fan, of course, appreciates a good serial killer story, a murder mystery. But at the end of the day... People are true crime fans because they genuinely want answers and don't want these things to happen. That's right. I have always liked watching Law & Order SVU. I know that a lot of people don't love the drama procedurals because Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it is overly dramatic and Dakota's always like, I don't know why you watch that show. It's so depressing. 
the reason I enjoy it is because there's justice at the end. Mm -hmm. And nothing is more satisfying than seeing someone held accountable for the atrocities that they commit against other people. Yes. It's one of the most really, really bitter tasting forms of satisfaction. Like, yeah. You're still bitter and pissed and disturbed by what they did, but it's like that righteous indignation that that fucking asshole had to pay for it. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, when you pay attention to stuff like today's topic, in the news when it's happening or any of the topics we cover really when it comes to actual crime Mm -hmm. you become more aware as a human being yeah and really understand that this world isn't all rainbows and butterflies and there is some dark shit out there there are horrible fucking people out there these things didn't just happen in the 70s okay like We all know that every dude one day decided to be a serial killer in the 60s and 70s, but this happened not very long ago, Mm -hmm. and it's something that got attention, but not enough attention. Yeah, I think locally it got a lot of attention, but nationally it almost got none. Until just a couple years ago. Right. So let's let's do Breakfast Nook. And do our business before we actually get into the topic. Um, I had a scone for breakfast, a cinnamon apple scone. We went to Post Coffee this morning. We did. Um, So we had a podcast field trip and it was glorious. We got some swag from Post Coffee. I got the same thing I had last week, which is a brevet flat white and it's fucking amazing i did get two this time so that i'm not really let down when the cup's empty (laughs) i also got the same thing the brevet iced vanilla latte it's delicious they nail it on their coffee it's just it's just the fucking best it's really good and i don't know what is what it is about brevet dude i really don't even know what it is i i don't know i'm sure chip will tell us I want, yeah, Chip, what's Breve? Please. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I know that it makes my coffee taste glorious. Yeah. My coffee paired so perfectly with that old-fashioned donut I had. Because mm. I had coffee before I picked you up this morning, mm-hmm. but I had hot coffee. So the fresh old-fashioned donut with my fucking cereal milk Breve drink, perfect. So good. Alrighty. Uh, so breakfast nook short today. We're going to keep this business short and sweet so we can get into the story for you. Yeah. But we're going to move along to Chip's Corner. Chip actually sent us um, some crazy information. We jokingly were talking about Kemper Casserole in the last episode. That was so fucking horrible of us. We are going straight to hell. Yeah. But the real kicker is that's actually a family recipe somewhere. So I'm, I, when I went to the, like, I clicked the link that he sent us in the group chat and it, it looked like it was, it was a family with the last name of Kemper (laughs) and it's this casserole. 
it's really just like a vegetable type of casserole or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I just pictured Chip listening to the last episode, (laughs) just Googling Kemper casserole. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's one of those websites where people have like recipe blogs or whatever oh my god i hate finding a recipe and then going to the website and it takes you 12 years to find the actual fucking recipe on the page yeah i am not here to read about the first time you had this dish no i am here to know the ingredients and what i need to put the oven on that's it yeah i don't want anything else when they have now added a jump to recipe button, shit has gotten out of hand. Yeah, just put your recipe fucking first. And I don't understand why on like Pinterest, which I use a lot to find recipes. Same. Just can we just put it in the picture? Yeah. Maybe. I don't I don't want a little fast video of you making the thing. I want a picture of what it looks like, the ingredients, and how to make it. Yeah. I don't want to visit the website. Or make these posts have scrollable pictures so your first picture can be the recipe and the cooking instructions boom easy and the second one can be a fast video of you making it because i do like to watch those videos i do but when i'm wanting to make something i just want to know what the fuck to put in it because then this is what i end up having to do if i see something on pinterest i want to cook i'll go to the fucking site scroll through their life story and then yeah. I'll like screenshot the ingredients and the I instructions do. and then I end up with hundreds of these screenshots I guess I'm just gonna have to resort to writing this shit down yeah people who post on Pinterest please for the sake of me and Madeline get your shit together yeah we can't be the only ones that have this issue no absolutely not okay so that's our rant on food Jesus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We also got our first Instagram DM yesterday. Aww. It made me smile. It popped up um, on my lunch break when I was watching the Great British Baking Show while eating Taco Bell. I love the Great British Baking Show. It's so good. Yeah. Keegan and I usually flip it on while we're eating. Mm -hmm. And I was eating Taco Bell while watching GBBS while wearing my Taco Bell shirt. Nice. But our friend Tyler, who is actually my husband's best friend, sent us a message and told us how much he was loving the podcast. And he actually gave us a suggestion, too, which is a great story. I've heard. Yeah, I've heard it as well. I've heard it. Supernatural with Ashley Flowers a couple months ago, I think, came out with an episode on it. And it's a it's a cool mystery. So we'll for sure do that one. Yeah, I think My Favorite Murder covered that story as well. They have so many goddamn episodes. And they title theirs kind of like we title ours. Yeah. So it doesn't, their titles never say what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I I am, I have changed our titles uh, to include the the topic in the title. I really like having a cool, like, creative title. Yeah. But I do understand that it's difficult, like, clicking on one that's kind of vague and you don't really know. Yeah, because a lot of times I'll scroll through podcasts that do a different subject every episode. Mm-hmm. And I do too. pick and choose. 
I do so. that exact same thing. So hopefully now that the titles are changed, I'm hoping that all of them have updated in Spotify and Apple uh, with the new titles. But the creative title is still there. I just also fronted it with the topic. So yes. hopefully people will be able to navigate our titles. Easier. Yeah, at least the keyword. Like, the keyword is there. So yeah. And we always put the keywords in the description, but not everyone reads a podcast description for an episode before they listen to it. No. Uh, that's a lot more clicks than most people want to yeah. go through. So yeah. hopefully that makes it easier for people. Yeah. So before we get into it, um, pop over to our Instagram and give us a follow. Yes. At what if I told you pod. Also, if you are a Facebooker, you can find us. What if I told you podcast in our email? Yeah. What if I told you podcast at gmail.com? Yep. We are perpetually accepting emails. So it is open 24 seven. I've heard. I, that word on the street yeah. is that we are open 24 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now for the topic. So today's story is. The story of Gabriel Fernandez. And I think we should reiterate, which we did have a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode, but I think this one deserves a second in-episode disclaimer Mm -hmm. that today this is going to include extremely graphic discussion of child abuse. So if this is triggering for you or upsetting, which I mean... It's It's, going to be upsetting no matter what. It's going to be. If you have not heard of Gabriel Fernandez, it's a rough one. So feel free to skip over this episode. We 100% understand. But like we said at the beginning, this is something that needs to be talked about. So just a little discretion. Yes. And uh, this is also going to be a two-part episode. So. Um, we're going to cover the beginning this week and then next week we will, we will finish it out. It's a lot of story and we didn't want to skip anything or really condense anything because it really is all necessary information for the story. So we're going to do a two-parter here and, um, I think that's really the only way we felt that we could do the story real justice because it's an important story there are a few podcasts out there that have covered it. The Murderish podcast, they have an episode on Gabriel and a Day with Crime podcast, a podcast called Sheer Crime. They do a series on this case. Mm-hmm. They're all really good. I listen to their Gabriel episodes, all three of these shows. But when you think of the huge true crime podcasts, these are not those. Yeah, it is not. You're your first on the list right. when you Google true crime podcast shows. Right, exactly. So what I want to do here is not blame, but I do want to say directly to the major true crime podcasts on any platform, please cover this story. Yeah. I'm really talking to Crime Junkie, to My Favorite Murder to last podcast on the left. You guys have millions of listeners every month. 
And this story has so many, we're going to include resources in this, in this episode and in the next episode to report, to sign petitions, to hopefully fix the flaws in the system that allowed this to happen. Mm -hmm. And the more signatures these petitions can get, the more likely it is that Congress will actually hear. Yeah. And make the changes that people are really pushing for. And while this story is fucking rough, it's necessary. And these shows who have millions of followers should cover it, not ignore it, so that all of their followers can hear it, get the resources, and hopefully change a system that is really failing hundreds of kids a year. Yeah, because with audiences like that, when a show like that mainly does missing persons cases, that opens eyes to all their listeners to keep their eye out for that person. Yes. Topics like this will make someone keep their eyes and ears open to things that seem off. To things, you know, sometimes you'll see something that makes you a little uncomfortable, like with how a parent is treating their child, but you think it's none of my business. And you know what? For a a majority of weird, you know, uncomfortable situations, everything is probably okay. But if you don't feel right about something, if you have a neighbor that just, it seems like they just aren't great parents, or if you see something out in public just fucking report it anonymously. Yeah, it's super easy. We're going to give you websites, phone numbers for Kansas and Missouri to report the child abuse hotline. If you see something, say something. Yeah. That could be the difference between life and death for a child. Yeah. And you know what? Do it anonymously because there have been instances where if you call you know, the authorities on someone for something like this, sometimes they will say who called on you. Mm -hmm. So just stay anonymous. And worst case scenario, nothing is going on. You feel like a dumbass for a second, but at least you go to bed that night knowing you did what you thought you should have done. That's exactly right. We are all citizens of the human race, and sometimes we have to look out for the most vulnerable vulnerable in society. Yeah. And that's children. Absolutely. I'll end this little tangent with a quote from RuPaul, which doesn't seem like it's fitting, but it is fitting. <laughs> and he says to all his all-stars, with great power comes great responsibility, and that is fucking true. That is true. When you have an audience... You have to use it sometimes for something like this. Yeah, absolutely. With that, we're going to get into who Gabriel Fernandez was. Gabriel was born February 20th in 2005 to his mother, Pearl Fernandez, and father, Arnold Contreras. He was born in Palmdale, California, but shortly after he was born, Gabriel was put into the custody of his great uncle, Michael Lemos Carranza and his partner, David Martinez. And Gabriel remained with Michael and David for four years 
However, in 2009, Gabriel's grandparents, Robert and Sandra Fernandez, took over custody. And I would say from the documentary, Michael and David seem to really love and care for Gabriel. Yes, they did. And um, David Martinez is actually interviewed during episode three of the doc. And you can just hear it in his voice. And he gets very emotional, obviously. Mm -hmm. And he continually refers to Gabriel as his son. Yeah, and I his mean, baby. His baby. And he they had him from the time he was like three days old mm-hmm. until he was four years old. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. And to, you know, and they raised him from the time he was a newborn infant. Yeah, that's a, that's a big chunk of a child's development. Yes. yes. From, I have two kids. The oldest one is eight. The youngest one is four. And I can tell you that that birth to four years old, four and a half years old, they really become their own little person and develop their own personality. And that 100% reflects on who is raising them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Dave Martinez, obviously, um, Michael Carranza wasn't interviewed in the documentary because I think he passed away. Yes. Um, But... David Martinez is, you can just hear in his voice, he's very soft-spoken, and the way he talks, he just seems like a really gentle, kind human being. Yeah. And all of the people who talk about Gabriel talk about him in that way. Like, he was a sweet, caring boy. Yeah. And so, clearly, he got that from his uncles. Yeah. And so, his grandparents took over the custody and it's reported that Gabriel's grandfather kind of objected to Michael and David's same-sex relationship. Yeah. Which we all know it's still widely unaccepted for same-sex couples to raise children, which is absolutely out-fucking-rageous. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. It doesn't make sense, but in this situation, it happened. Yeah. But, I mean, his grandparents were loving people. Yeah, his grandparents loved and cared for him. Yes. And so they had custody of Gabriel for about three years. Mm -hmm. And in 2012, custody was then given to his mother, Pearl, his birth mother. And he went to live with her and her boyfriend, Asaro Aguirre, despite concerns raised by family members. In the documentary, when Robert and Sandra Fernandez talk about Pearl taking custody of Gabriel. I believe what they said is that Pearl and Asaro went to Robert and Sandra's, picked up Gabriel, and said they were taking him to a barbecue, Mm -hmm. but they just kept him. Yeah. Because Robert and Sandra had had tried in the three years they had him to officially adopt Gabriel, but Pearl never fully signed over her rights as the parent. Mm -hmm. So they... Picked him up, and then obviously she's the biological mother. Family preservation is going to play a huge role here. Apparently family preservation is the ideal goal. Mm -hmm. So custody was allowed to go to Pearl. Yeah, which is insane. Yeah, we'll we'll get into the family preservation idea. Yeah, yeah. 
So they also, I mean, Pearl and Asaro also wanted Gabriel to increase the amount of welfare they would receive having him in their custody. So, yeah, which we all know how people abuse the system in that way when it comes to Mm -hmm. that's just unfortunately how it is in some cases. It is. And it stigmatizes the whole system for people who who actually actually need need it. it. Yeah. Yeah. But Gabriel also had two siblings that were already living with Pearl and Asaro. And so he had a brother and a sister. And I, they were both older than him. They were both older. And um, I mean, they overall seem to be taken care of fairly well, you know. Right. There's a psychotherapist in the documentary that's interviewed and she talks about scapegoat syndrome. Mm hmm. And that one child will often take the brunt of a family's, what she said, failing. Yes. So usually in cases of child abuse, there's one child that is abused while the others are not abused at all. Mm -hmm. And I think, so his brother and sister were Ezekiel and Virginia. Neither one of them were ever uh, really physically abused. No. So that's certainly what was happening here. Yeah. Gabriel was in Pearl and Asaro's custody from around October of 2012 until May 2013. So this is like seven, eight-ish months. Right. And in that time, he endured continued systematic torture at the hands of both Pearl and Asaro. And keep in mind, Asaro was not his biological father. This was Pearl's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gabriel's biological father, Arnold Contreras, was actually incarcerated during this time. Yes, during this time. Gabriel started at a new school as a first grader in mid-October of 2012, and he went to Summer Wind Elementary, and his teacher was Jennifer Garcia. One day in late October, Gabriel asked his teacher, is it normal for moms to hit their kids? She told him yes, thinking that he was talking about spankings and told him that they could talk about it during recess. When recess came, he asked, is it normal for your mom to hit you with the part of the belt that has the metal thing on the end? And obviously this teacher is like, whoa. Yeah. And she said, you mean the buckle? And Gabriel said, yeah. Is it normal for you to bleed? My oldest kid has said things sometimes that just kind of make me cringe inside. Like, oh my gosh, that makes me seem like a terrible person. You know, I remember one time my mom was over and (laughs) Kaden said to my mom, I'm really cold at night. (laughs) You know what my mom does? She goes out and buys him fluffy sheets and pillowcases. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, that sounds like the kid is sleeping on a cot on the floor. Yeah. So I think at first when he was asking her that, you know, it would be natural for me to think, I mean, spankings probably. Yeah. I don't spank my children. Right. Um, I think everyone has a different outlook on that. And I think the way you punish your children for actual things mm-hmm. is up to you. But there's a very thin line of what is okay and what is not okay when it comes to things like spankings. Now, that's just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, every kid gets a whack in their butt at some point in their life. Yeah. Um, But when then he he brings up the belt thing, you know, those alarms start going off in her mind. And she actually, at the end of the school day, 
called the county's child abuse hotline to report this, mm-hmm. obviously. And I think any teacher would do the same thing. Yeah, they're mandated reporters. So even if, like you said, she's having a little bit of a, an iffy feeling about this, like she feels like he bled, it's too much. Yeah. But also it's in the back of her mind that some parents do spank their kids like that. I I mean, you know, and it may not actually be prolonged abuse. Right. But she's erring on the side of caution as a mandated reporter. Yeah. And reports. She's doing what she is supposed to do. Absolutely. And she's, she is a fucking rock star. She really is. And, you know, like I said earlier, worst case, nothing is happening. Exactly. And she feels like an idiot for a second and moves on with her life. Exactly. If she wouldn't have done these things, she probably wouldn't have been able to live with herself. Absolutely not. But she did everything she was supposed to do. She did everything that she possibly could have done. And still, in the documentary, you can see when she's interviewed, she feels horrible still. Of course she does. This is why whenever people ask me if I am, since I have an English degree, people assume the only fucking thing I can do is be a teacher. Mm -hmm. People. The English language is used in every industry. (laughs) But people ask me all the time, oh, so you're going to be a teacher? No. First of all, I don't have a lot of patience. So... (laughs) I would be that dick teacher. But also, I wouldn't be able to handle this situation. Yeah, that would be tough. I would be the type of person to be like, you're coming home with me. I'm breaking all protocol on this. I would get arrested for kidnapping because I would have. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, oh, okay, well, you have a new home now. Um, I have a spare room just for you. (laughs) Please and thank you. But we can't live in this state anymore. Nope. We've got to go clear across to a European country at this point. I'll get you a passport and a new name. So after she called the hotline, caseworker Steve Reed took the report and he took detailed notes. And soon after, Mrs. Garcia received a call from Stephanie Rodriguez, who -hmm. had been assigned to investigate her report. And she told the teacher to call her directly if she noticed anything else in the future. Right. Um, So, so far, seems pretty normal. Pretty routine. Following that protocol. After this first report, Rodriguez, the caseworker. Yeah, caseworker. Made a visit to Gabriel's home. She interviewed Gabriel in the presence of his mother. Which, hmm... And Pearl admitted to using the belt, and Rodriguez saw the bruise and made note of it, but neither she or her supervisor, Kevin Baum, thought it required a medical exam or removal. And I I get that you can't just pluck a kid from their home mm-hmm. if something like this happens. Right. But there was still not enough concern raised. Right. And I think, you know... He had told the teacher that the strike with the belt buckle caused him to bleed. So, and then she saw the mark. I mean, I personally feel like they should have sought medical attention. Yeah. But it isn't crazy to me that they didn't. Yeah. In this per- for this particular visit. Right. So, three weeks go by and... Rodriguez then made a follow-up visit and reported that she found 
the children to be appropriately dressed, visibly healthy, and didn't have any marks or bruises. Three weeks actually seems like a long time for a follow-up. It does. There's only so much that actual caseworker can do, and it falls on, you know, the supervisors and the people above them. So it's the system as a whole. Yes. And it just really fucking sucks. It really sucks. And um, Stephanie Rodriguez in particular, she was very young. She was in her 20s, and she was new. Yeah. So she didn't have adequate experience and training, I don't think, to handle this level of a case. Yeah. Absolutely not. She, if they wanted her to get experience, they should have had her shadow another caseworker with more experience or something like that. This just, and it also said that at any given time, the average caseload for per caseworker was 30 plus cases. That is ridiculous. That is so, that is a, so many cases for one person to handle, especially because each case is different. Mm-hmm. Each case has its own complexities and that's too much. And yeah. And let's say, let's say you have 30 cases yeah. that you're assigned to. Mm-hmm. And let's say that you do check-ins with these kids once a week. Yeah. Could you imagine checking in with 30 kids every week? Yeah, because you're not working all seven days per week. No. So if you have to check on 30 kids in five days... You're checking on six kids per day, so you yeah. have to leave your office. You're and gone check on, all day. You're gone all day. How are you going to get your paperwork done? Yeah. It, see, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously, this is a department that's underfunded mm-hmm. and understaffed, mm-hmm. so all of their workers are overworked by a lot. Yeah. And we have both worked in government We both understand that most government employees are underpaid and overworked. Yeah. That is true for most government agencies, especially government agencies like this one. Yeah. And I just couldn't imagine the strength you would have to muster to do a job like this because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, of course, it's you that is assigned to the specifics of these cases Mm -hmm. but you're not the one calling the shots no you're not you can just report what you're seeing and i'm guessing make suggestions yeah the caseworkers do make recommendations um and we're going to talk about the missteps and the mistakes that these social workers made that kind of facilitated what happened here and there's clear clear mistakes yeah that 100 percent could and should have been avoided yeah but starting off we do want to make sure you guys know that we understand the level of burnout and overworked that these caseworkers really were absolutely we get it and we understand but this kind of a mistake should absolutely not have happened. Right. So on top of the initial report by Gabriel's teacher, she noticed that he was 
often late to school and sometimes just not there. And on November 26th, he arrived to school late. And when he walked in, Mrs. Garcia saw that someone had cut chunks out of out of his hair and there were scabs where his hair was cut out and the other children pointed at him and laughed and um, Gabriel told Mrs. Garcia that he didn't know what to say when the other kids asked what happened. Of course he didn't. Yeah. He was eight years old and has the mom to an eight-year-old I just can't put into words because if Gabriel was anything like my son, which in the ways that his family describes him makes me think of Caden. Mm-hmm. I mean, and of course, when you hear stories like this, you picture your children. Of course. But he had such a kind soul mm-hmm. and he was friendly and he liked to make people smile. And, you know, there's been some instances where my son has dealt with bullying And it's really hard for kids that age to stand up for themselves Mm -hmm. because they're so kind hearted. They don't they don't want to hurt other people in the process. Right. So this part like really hit me because I was thinking, of course, he didn't know how to deal with it because he didn't want he didn't want to bring more attention to himself. Yeah. That's just heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. And. You know, I don't have any kids, but I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and my siblings and I are all very close. And my two oldest nephews, Boo and Mason, Boo's name is Malachi, by the way. I just call him, have called him Boo his whole life. So Boo and Mason are 10, mm-hmm. and Mason actually looks very, very similar mm-hmm. to Gabriel because of his dad being so, like, native-looking. Mm-hmm. He got all the native genes that I missed out on. Mm -hmm. So he's dark and he's dark complected. He's got those almond shaped brown eyes, Mm -hmm. the dark hair. And so when I see pictures of Gabriel, I see Mason Mm -hmm. because they look so similar. But his disposition seems more like Boo because Boo is like that. He's very loving. He's such a big hearted kid. Yeah. And so it's like Boo and Mason combined. Yeah. So I like think of both of them whenever I like see or hear about Gabriel. So Mrs. Garcia then called Stephanie Rodriguez on both numbers that she had been given and left a message both times. Gabriel was actually absent the next day, but he was there on Wednesday and his hair was now a mohawk and Garcia tried again to call Rodriguez about the scabs and left yet another voicemail. So this is a total of four times in about a month Yeah, that Jennifer Garcia, the teacher, has called to make a report yeah. about Gabriel. Yes. And, I mean, this fucking teacher, I mean, she called every time. Every single time she called. On Thursday, Gabriel came to school with a busted lip and he told his teacher that his mother had punched him in the mouth. Oh my fucking God. And his teacher once again calls Rodriguez and 
actually manages to reach her. She reported the scabs and the busted lip and asked about this investigation. And of course, Rodriguez was like, I can't tell you due to confidentiality rules, blah, blah, blah. But after these reports, Rodriguez visited Gabriel's home again. And Gabriel, in front of Pearl, recanted that she had punched him and said he bit his lip. So, you know, I mean, obviously in fear, and I think a lot of the times kids in situations like this don't want their parents to seem like bad people, Mm -hmm. so they will lie like that. So he was like, no, it wasn't my mom, and um, I bit my lip. But Rodriguez noted in her report that it was an open blister. After this, basically, as the days and weeks go on, Miss Garcia noticed that Gabriel's condition just progressively got worse. When the class walked anywhere, whether it was to, I don't know, probably art class, music class, reassess, uh, she noticed that he would lag behind the class that he seemed tired and fatigued and that he would tell her that his arms and legs hurt. And at the end of the day, she would often find him crying and saying he didn't want to go home. What could she do about it? Yeah. There's nothing she could have done outside of what she was already doing. Would Yes, there's abs- nothing she could have done. And it strapped her and made her feel frustrated and helpless mm-hmm. and... I just can't imagine. Yeah. And like you said earlier, outside of freaking just taking this kid illegally, there was nothing she could have done. Committing a class A felony and stealing a child. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're probably like, you know what? Like, this is probably being handled. I'm sure they're in the process of getting him removed from this home. Yes. And that's that happens so often with anything that involves like people getting involved with the legal system. Most of us have that ingrained sense of the system is going to work this out. Yeah. They're going to take care of it. Everything's going to be fine. I just have to, she was probably thinking, I just have, I'm just going to keep reporting. Mm -hmm. They have to do something at some point. There's no way they're not going to. There's no way they're not going to do something. I think a lot of us have that in deeply ingrained sense that the system has to work out the correct way. Yeah. At some juncture, it's going to work out. Yeah. And sometimes... Because that's what it was made to do. Because that's what it was made to do. And sometimes it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of January, Gabriel came to school and his appearance was shocking to the students and to Miss Garcia. His eyes were swollen, almost shut, and he had... little round bruises that covered his face. When Garcia asked him what had happened, Gabriel said that he fell. Obviously, Miss Garcia knew that that was not the truth. So she asked him again. And this time she said he got mad Mm -hmm. and said, it's because my mom shot me with a BB gun. Oh my fucking God. And... When Miss Garcia asked why he lied to her, he said, when I tell you and that lady comes, I get hurt worse. Mm -hmm. So the first two major reports that were made to DCFS 
that Rodriguez then made the home visit on. Not removing him for those two instances, I probably, the first one I do understand. Mm -hmm. The second one with the being punched in the mouth, the head scabs, I was like, that should have been cause for an order from a judge to remove. Mm -hmm. But okay, I'm not completely off the train yet. Right. And then this one, because now she's really conflicted about making calls. Yeah. She doesn't want it to go unreported, but she also doesn't want to be the one responsible for causing him to be hurt worse. Yeah. She just, in the end, decides that calling is still the best thing she can do. Yeah. Because maybe this time he will be removed. Being shot in the face with a BB gun is fucking horrendous. Yeah. And... The only option at this point should have been removal from the home, obviously. So she calls Rodriguez again. And she still, when she reports, has no idea what is going to be done. Yeah, or what's going on. What's going on. On January 29th, 2013, after the BB gun report, Rodriguez made her last visit to Gabriel's home. He again recanted and told her that he had fallen. Again... Rodriguez and Kevin Baum, her boss, decided it was unnecessary to have a medical exam or remove Gabriel from the home. Here's my thing. Let's say he did fall, but I am a caseworker supervisor or a caseworker or whatever the professional term is. Mm -hmm. I would still probably have him checked out by medical because he was just injured. Right, because... I'm there Yeah, because of these injuries. Yes. Let's have a professional look at them. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I understand not having him exam for a busted lip. Like, I can't even count on, on all my fingers and toes how many times my kids have had an injury to the head or face, you know? They fall. They fall. They act like crazy hooligans. I mean, freaking Jameson just freaking almost sliced his whole eyebrow off last year that was terrifying yeah kid looked like he just ran straight into a brick wall but this is happening they're getting calls this is the third report where she has seen physical injuries on the child yes very visible and i think at this point a medical professional would have been like kid didn't fall absolutely and Of course, at this point, have never interviewed him alone, which their department policy requires for the caseworker to interview the child alone Mm -hmm. because most abused children are afraid to tell the truth in front of their parents. Right. Because they're afraid of when that caseworker leaves, that parent is going to take out their anger and frustration on them. Of course. So they are required to interview the child alone. Gabriel was never interviewed alone. Mm -hmm. They're required to interview any other children in the home also alone. Yeah. That never happens. They're required to interview the parents. And if there's someone else who's the perpetrator, they have to interview the perpetrator. In Mm -hmm. this case, parent, perpetrator are the same person. They're required to interview them as well. Mm -hmm. They took Pearl's word for everything. What parent who is abusing their child is going to be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did that. Of course not. When you have a kid telling their teacher coming to school with 
visible fucking injuries. And they're saying, is it okay for moms to hit their kids? Is it normal for you to bleed? Please don't take the parents' word for it. Of course not. At this point, there's no excuse. She (sighs) went to the home and saw his face with the marks from the BB gun. Yeah. At that point, she should have filed an order with the judge requesting removal. And I am almost certain any judge would have signed that order and he could have been removed within a day or two. Yeah. At this juncture in January, Mm -hmm. he should have been removed. But they didn't even have him medically examined. And to top it all off, at this point, they decided to close the investigation and that they saw no signs of danger or abuse. Are you fucking kidding? I just don't really even have words for that because it's just so... Uh, it just... I'm so baffled by this. I she, she laid her eyes on him. Yeah. She looked at his face. This wasn't a one-time report. This wasn't a person hearing their mom, hearing a mom yell at a kid with the windows open on a summer day. Right. You know, you always joke, like, if you hear me yelling at my kid with the windows open, mind your business. I've asked them to brush their teeth 48 times. Yeah. This isn't one of those calls. No. This isn't a disturbance. This isn't like, I saw this kid get spanked in the parking lot. Right. This is fucking major. This is beyond a parent getting frustrated and over-disciplining their child. Yeah. This is clear, intentional infliction of pain. Mm -hmm. But because they took Pearl's word for it, fucking case closed. Yeah. Kid's lying. Yeah. He's just clumsy as fuck. And managed to get perfectly round bruises all over his face from falling. Yeah. I've fallen a lot. You know, I don't... Never happened to me. If someone looks injured and they say that they fell or ran into a door, that's probably not true. Probably not. Especially if they don't follow that up with a story of how they did so. Right. Because usually falling down stories are pretty funny. Right. Like, uh, I was running up the stairs and my dog happened to also run up the stairs and knocked my legs out and I fell down the stairs. Yeah, I mean, people have... You're going to get hurt from dumb shit like that. It's going to happen, but not every other week. Yeah. So. According to DCFS's internal investigation, neither Rodriguez nor her supervisor, Kevin Baum, reviewed the information related to Garcia's calls. And Rodriguez never went to the school to interview Garcia nor any other staff. Jesus. Never spoke with any neighbors even though department policy required interviews of at least three witnesses. Mm -hmm. She also, as we said, never interviewed Gabriel or his siblings alone, which is also required by department policy. Which would make sense. Yes. And we are going to have a segment in part two where we talk about some information we've gotten 
from really reputable sources about the kind of the life of a case after child abuse or neglect is reported. Mm -hmm. And in that, it's clearly stated that the child has to be interviewed alone. Has to be interviewed alone. Yeah, because there's just things they're going to tell you that they're not going to just say standing there in the living room with this lady in a suit standing there with their mom. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Gabriel told his teacher these things because he was alone with her and Mm -hmm. he trusted and felt safe with her. So he told her what was happening. Right. He didn't tell the caseworker because he was standing there with Pearl. Mm Mm-hmm. Duh. I'm not a social worker, and that is obvious to me. Right. So they closed the case in January, but before an investigation can be closed, caseworkers have to complete a questionnaire in a software program called Structured Decision Making, and it's used to score the child's risk. Rodriguez was actually able to answer most of those questions um, based entirely on information that had been logged in the case files prior to her even beginning the the investigation because Pearl had already been in the system. Mm -hmm. I think in the research I did, it said that between the years of 2003 and 2012, she had had over 60 reports made on her. Jesus. 60. Wow. Yeah. Before Gabriel ever went to live with her, she had already had most of those reports filed on her. And he he was still allowed to pass into her custody. All of this calculated Gabriel's risk as very high risk, meaning the caseworker was required to promote the case for further attention. Usually promoting meant petitioning a judge to mandate services like parenting classes or, in extreme cases, seeking a judge's approval to remove the child and place in alternate care, whether foster care or with a relative. Mm -hmm. So per their system that they use to calculate risk, Gabriel's case should have went in front of a judge Mm -hmm. for a judge to decide whether the family needed services to support improvement or just be removed. Right. This should have gone to a judge and it didn't. So Rodriguez did not send this information to a judge. Instead, she went to a fellow caseworker and they decided on recommending Gabriel for a program called Voluntary Family Maintenance. Uh, The keyword there is voluntary. Yeah. I just don't have, like, a lot of input on this because I, like, my brain just can't calculate how these decisions were made and not made. Me either. Because I know, I know we've talked about the being overworked thing, but she's giving this case attention. Right. She made decisions in regards to this case. She went and saw Gabriel four times. This is why I couldn't be a caseworker. Yeah. Because... I would remove every child. I probably would, too. I'd be I like, mean, obviously, based of, on circumstances. Of course. I'm not going to go in and be like, oh, this, you're not feeding this kid the cereal he wants. Remove! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, my kids would be long gone if, that- it were, if that was the case. <laughs> you know, sometimes we don't let Jameson have peanut butter crunch 
every night when he lays down. And I know right. that is just unacceptable. Yeah. But I'm going to try to word this in a way that makes sense to other people. Punishment with children has evolved over the years. Of course. Yes, absolutely. I was not spanked as a child. Me either. I was not even verbally abused as a child. I got the disappointment treatment. Yeah. I understood when I was in trouble, Mm -hmm. but my parents treated me like a human being. And here's the thing with small kids is, yes, we can all lose our temper. I have lost my temper with my children, not in a physical way. But in a vocal way. In a vocal way. You know, I'm like, you know what? I... I'm raising my voice. I need to not do this. And every parent is guilty of that. If you as a parent can sit there and tell me you have never yelled at your child, you're fucking lying. You have to be lying. Because it is the hardest job in the world. Mm -hmm. It is so hard because you have this idea of what you want to be like as a parent. And sometimes you fail at that. If you're not abusing your child, you're not failing as a parent, but I understand how it can be easy to lose your temper with a kid because you just want them to understand. And this is, yeah, cognitively, they're just not there. Right. And this case obviously is completely different. It's not like Gabriel was stealing and hurting people and being punished for it. Yeah. He was just existing. He was just existing. But I couldn't be a caseworker because if I went to a house and especially kids this age, if they were being physically harmed, you know, outside of a, well, yeah, I spanked his ass because he did this, you know? He hit his sister, so I spanked his ass. Yeah, like, I get that. Like, Mm -hmm. while I don't agree with really spanking, um, some people do, and that's that's fine. That's their choice. like, Like we've said, there's a line that you don't cross. That's right. So I guess I just don't understand how when it came to being hit with the metal end of a belt. Question. More questions were not asked. Yeah. I mean, I know that especially people more our age and older, you know, remember like the belt and Mm -hmm. stuff. I was never hit with a belt. But I know people who be like, yeah, my parents would hit me with the belt or whack me with the spoon like I I mean they used to spank kids in school yeah I remember a, a kid getting uh what's it called the swats swats yeah I remember a kid getting swats yeah. when I was in probably fourth grade so that was 99 yeah 2000 I I barely even like time out I think that is such like a like a mind thing and I think it's messed up but I'm not disagreeing with people who spank their children or put them in timeout or even people who raise their voice at their kids Mm -hmm. when there is a reason to be doing these things because you don't want your child to hurt themselves or hurt someone else. Yeah. So I just don't understand why when a teacher is making multiple fucking reports about a kid just gradually looking worse and worse each day within the span of two months three months making this number of reports. I don't get it. Yeah. And how she, if, if I was a caseworker, went into a home, saw this child's face, I just don't think I have the disposition to gracefully leave that home. No. I might actually consider 
acts of violence towards that parent. Mm-hmm. If I looked at this child, because she goes in there armed with the knowledge of the report. She went in there knowing that he had told his teacher he'd been shot with a BB gun. Mm-hmm. So you enter with the knowledge. You don't go in there not knowing what's happened. You already know what the report says. Right. Hopefully. So if I went into this home with a report that the kid has been shot in the face with a BB gun by his parent, and then I see the face of this child, and it's covered in tiny round bruises, my instinctual reaction would be to fucking hit the parent. Like, you goddamn bitch, what the fuck yeah, because possesses here's, you? Here's the thing. No one tolerates people who abuse children. No. You go to prison as someone who is a child rapist or someone who abused their child to the point that you're in prison. Dudes don't put up with that shit. And I think we've talked about this in a previous episode. Women who go to jail for harming their children. Fucked. We looked at more articles for this episode than any episode we've done before. And in one of the articles, it talked about that Pearl was actually assaulted in prison. Mm-hmm. Because, because those are women who've been separated from their children that they love and care for. And maybe they have like a drug charge or a stealing charge. Right. And they're in jail and they just want to be home with their kids. And then they see this fucking bitch who tortured her child to mm-hmm. death. Of I'm surprised she made it out alive, to mm-hmm. be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised those women didn't kill her. Yeah, because... There's something about becoming a mom or just a parent in general. And I'm not saying people who aren't parents can't feel this strongly about someone they love. But it's like when you now have made this tiny person, something new clicks in your brain Mm -hmm. that says, like, I would do absolutely anything in this fucking world to protect this child. I would do whatever it fucking took. You say... It's either this or your child gets hurt. I don't care what it is. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like there's always those jokes. Oh, I don't mind going to prison if it's for, you know, protecting my child. Well, I 100% wouldn't mind that if it came to protecting my child. Yeah. And I'm 100% sure that all four of my parents would have. Yeah. And still would. My three remaining parents still would. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's why it's so hard when it's a parent doing this to their own child. It doesn't make sense. And I think that's why people have such a visceral reaction to these types of stories. Because it seems like it shouldn't be real. Yeah, because even now, I'll look at my oldest kid. And I mean... I'm a young mom, but I've been a mom for almost nine years now. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I'm like, that is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, I cannot believe I created that thing. Yeah. I have never felt this way about another human being in my life. Right. And that's why it's just so, I mean, obviously, it doesn't matter how you're related to a human being. Hurting people is bad, especially children. A mother and a father figure, you know? Yeah. It's insane to me. I cannot comprehend it. The amount of guilt you feel even, like, that I've felt after, like, 
getting on and raising my voice with one of my kids, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a piece of shit. Like I'm the worst mom in the world. I feel that kind of guilt when I get onto my dogs. Yeah. You know, because April, I feel less bad about because she has that kind of attitude that's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I fucking did that. What are you going to do, mom? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. like Jameson. She just kind of doesn't give a shit, which then I kind of respect. I'm like, all right, props, April. Yeah. You fucking boss. Yeah. But Artie is such like, he's a tender, sensitive guy and he just wants, it's the border collie. They yeah. have a, a people pleasing thing, which may, is why they're so smart. But he just wants to do what I want him to do so badly. But he also has to combat his ADHD, his ADHD (laughs) and how like excited he gets. Yeah. And so he'll like jump on. He'll keep jumping on me and I'll get frustrated because I'm trying to do something like Artie quit. Yeah. And then he like gets really low to the ground. Like, I'm sorry, mom. And then I feel bad. And then I have to pick him up and hold him. And I'm like, Artie, I didn't mean it. I know it's it's so tough, but yeah, I mean, there's it 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 really eats at you when you know that you didn't handle a situation correctly. Yeah, I even tell like Dakota will sometimes he'll get frustrated with a- April or Artie or whatever, and he'll maybe raise his voice a little, and Artie will get really skittish and he'll like hide, and I'll be like, you know what, you need to love on him now. Yeah. And he's like, I oh, I didn't mean to do it. I know. And I'm like, I know, but y- go over there and give him some love for a while. Yeah. So he knows that you didn't mean it. And yeah. this is a dog, okay? This is not a human child. Yeah, and I think as parents and and we're we're getting off track. We but are. We're it's, gonna... it's fine. It it makes sense. As parents, especially parents listening to this, I just wanna say We all have our bad days, and I know every parent out there who is actually a part of their child's life is going to lose their temper. Mm -hmm. They're going to feel bad. Please apologize to your kids. Yeah. Do not think that because you are the parent and they are the child that they do not deserve an apology. That's right. Just recently, within the last week, I lost my cool with... Kaden and afterwards I was like that was stupid you know Mm -hmm. and while he needed to you know he needed to hear that Mm -hmm. you know afterwards I said Kaden I'm really sorry for raising my voice but then you know then I reiterated what the point I was trying to get across so don't be afraid to apologize to your kids because we all get mad when our kids are having a bad day or they have an attitude name a time this week that you didn't have a fucking attitude as an adult. I had an attitude. I have an attitude now. I mean, yeah. Fuck. We have to remember <laughs> that children are human beings and they are 100% allowed to have feelings and feel feelings and act on their feelings. Yeah. In a healthy way. So just remember that they have bad days and sometimes all they need is to fucking play that video game, watch that show on YouTube. Because, you know, when you come home from work and you've had a shitty day, like, you just want to fucking sit down, watch some TV, Mm -hmm. eat some food. Stop hounding your children. Do your homework. Clean your room. Like, yes, you need to do those things. But I think as a parent, we need to start identifying 
the signs of, oh, they're having a bad day. Like, you can do that with your other half. Like, I can tell when Keegan's in a bad mood. Yeah. Kids are the same. Yeah, they are. So just for the sake of this topic, we we can do better parents. We can. But you don't have to beat yourself up about it. Right. And this situation is common-ish, but not to this extent. Yeah. In part two, we'll get to some some hard statistics on on that front. But um, anyway, so back to the voluntary family maintenance program. So at this point, Gabriel's case is no longer in the hands of Stephanie Rodriguez or her supervisor, Kevin Baum. They have closed their case and forwarded Gabriel's family's information to this voluntary family maintenance program led by the Family Preservation Unit under the supervision of um, caseworker Greg Merritt. They were expected to send a caseworker to Gabriel's home every two weeks and supplement those visits with family and individual counseling. I never found where Gabriel had had individual counseling. I know there's an instance where they as a group worked with a counselor, Mm -hmm. and the counselor did in-home counseling with Gabriel and his mom and I think his siblings. I don't know if Asaro Aguirre was involved in that, Um, but a therapist was involved, but it was the one time. Yeah. And I didn't read or hear in the doc of any information about Gabriel receiving independent counseling. Right. Um, So Merritt assigned Gabriel's case to caseworker Pat Clement. She had previously been a nun. She's described in the documentary and in the articles as being not the best worker, that she was kind of brash and not super, didn't seem super caring or didn't have much empathy didn't have much empathy she just wasn't a great worker but she wasn't a fit for that job she certainly was does not sound like she was a fit for that job yeah but he assigned it to her anyway and her first home visit was conducted on february 13th her notes contained very few details and she returned two weeks later And noted that Asaro Giri was a, quote, very pleasant person. And that even with Gabriel's frequent school absences, which Jennifer Garcia had noted, he had once been absent for 13 straight days. Yeah, that's why there are rules in place. Like, I'm pretty sure here you can't have more than like nine, like eight or nine, some weird number like that. Without a doctor's note. Yeah, and... Even, I think even then, principal or the board or the superintendent, whoever is making calls to the home, like, what's making, the deal? Yeah, there, there are checks. Yeah. Um. So even with his, his kind of attendance record, which is sporadic at best. Yeah, this isn't a high schooler skipping class. Yeah, this is not teenage truancy. Yeah, I mean, it's very rare that my oldest misses school. Yeah, an eight-year-old, he's not just skipping school. What is an eight-year-old going to do to skip school? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So she noted that 
the children were attending school regularly and doing well. Okay. Soon after her first visit, Gabriel wrote several notes stating that he wanted to die. And this is brought up to the therapist on February 27th. And when she asked him if he was serious, he stared blankly and just said yes. An eight-year-old child is writing suicide notes and says he is serious that he wants to die. So that's not the biggest red flag. I don't know what is. Right, right. So the therapist's name was um, Carmen Lenorgant, and she informed Pat Clement and Greg Merritt of these notes and her follow-up questions with Gabriel, and they took no further action. And she also called 911 because she... She's taking this seriously. Yeah. She, like the teacher, was doing what she was supposed to do. And then the people on the other end were doing nothing. Yeah. So she reported to the caseworkers. She calls 911. An officer was sent to the home from the sheriff's department, but left without even talking to Gabriel. Just talked to Pearl. Clement visited for a third time on March 6th. And that's when Pearl said she didn't want to participate with the agency anymore. Pat Clement accepted this and she wrote, quote, It is the caseworker's assessment that mother is overwhelmed with her own emotional pain and is unwilling to continue counseling at this time. There are no safety risks to the children's welfare at this time. And her recommendation, close the case. Greg Merritt signed off on her recommendation without reading the file. What the fuck is happening? Yeah, it's just kind of like, I don't really have time for this. Yes, that's what it feels like to me. That is exactly what it feels like. I don't understand. I, I wish I could be in a room with these people and get a sense of what they were thinking. Why? As adults. What would possess them to think that there was no risk? This child just said that he wanted to die. Yeah. His previous reports show clear continued physical abuse by the parents. Mm -hmm. Why on earth would you not take, would you close this case? Yeah. In April, on April 26th, Pearl was at the welfare office, which... I didn't know this until it was explained in the documentary, but she, so she was at the gain office, which was part of the Department of Social Services. Mm -hmm. And this office was actually contracted from LA County to be run by a private company called Maximus. Mm -hmm. So... People could go here and sign up for welfare benefits or other services that typically would go through the Department of Social Services. Right. And so that's where she was at the welfare office. And she had Gabriel and his siblings with her. And Arturo 
Martinez was uh, the armed security guard for this office, he noticed that Gabriel was clearly the victim of extreme abuse. Jesus. When they walked in, he noticed cigarette burns all over Gabriel's head and neck, ligature marks on his wrists, black eyes, lumps on his head, and he noted that his skin looked yellow, like he was malnutritioned. Mm-hmm. So he notices these things immediately. Yeah, just just passing by. Passing by notices. And so he asks around the office, Grant, now, this is, they are doing the work of the Department of Social Services. Mm -hmm. You would think that he would be able to find someone there who would be able to do something. Right. However, as he goes around this office asking people if anyone was going to report it, how it was going to be reported, whatever... He was told by the clerk who was in there, her name was Marcella Corona, she she had noticed too. Mm-hmm. And um, so she went to ask her supervisor, Are we should I report this? Blah, blah, blah. The supervisor told her no, because it it was a Friday. They only had 15 minutes left in the workday, and she wasn't going to pay overtime. So Arturo is like, what the fuck? So he calls his boss mm-hmm. and his boss tells him not to get involved because it's not part of his job duties. No, it's no, it, of course it's not a part of his job duties, but it's the duty of a fucking human being seeing another human being in that condition. Yeah. And I would assume <laughs> that people who are working in this office would be considered mandated reporters. I don't know that for sure, but this is the Department of Social Services where families come in for benefits. Right. I would think that people who work in that office would be mandated reporters. Yeah. I just, just assuming, but no, they didn't want to pay overtime. How much overtime would you need to just make a report, though? Right. You can make a report in 15 minutes, probably. I would assume so. I would have probably. She, sh- The clerk did ask, and she did notice. Yeah. And she, now Arturo was determined to make this report regardless. Yeah. And when she told him that she was told not to report it, he he was like, well, I don't, he was like, it's a HIPAA violation, but give me the information and I'll make the fucking report myself. Yeah. So he's violating rules to make a report. Yeah. After being told by a supervisor not to. So could the clerk have done that? Yes. But she did get him the information. Yeah. About the family so that he could make a report. So he tried to call DCFS twice, but their automated system was completely convoluted and he couldn't navigate it. Because... Mm-hmm. Unlike Garcia, he didn't have, he wasn't trained yeah. to do this. And he also didn't have the direct number to a caseworker like Garcia had. Right. So he's just going off the cuff. Yeah. And so he stops with trying to report to DCFS and instead calls 911. And the 911 operator tells him that this doesn't sound like an emergency. 
and that he needed to call the non-emergency number to the sheriff's department. So he's getting the runaround here. Yeah. So he calls the non-emergency number and made the report. They didn't tell him this at the time, but a deputy did go and visit Gabriel's home and didn't see anything wrong. I mean, is this, like, house apartment of theirs just enchanted with some fucking magic that just makes everyone blind to what's fucking happening there? Yeah, I mean, Arturo saw cigarette burns on his head. Yeah. Black eyes. Yeah. Marks on his wrist from being tied up. Yeah. And this officer noted that he didn't see anything wrong. Jesus. Christ. You know, there's some badass little kids out there who always look like there there's some injury on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember my nephew Tyler. He had a head injury like every other week. Kid was constantly fucking things up. But there's a difference. I mean, yeah. of course I've seen kids with black eyes. Black black eyes can actually happen. Yeah. Ligature marks on the wrists. Mm-mm. Burns, Mm-mm. yellowing skin, Mm-mm. something is fucking wrong. Yeah, because you can tell the difference between, like, an accident. You know, my brother, when he was young, the stove burner, because those things don't automatically become cool when you turn them off. Right. They have to cool down. My mom had just got done cooking something. He was probably three... And he just walked up and stuck his hand on the burner. Mm-hmm. It was still, my mom had turned it off, but it was still hot. Yeah. And she was a single mom at this time. Yeah. And he just, as soon as she pulled the pot off and turned, he was behind her, stuck his hand right on the on the burner, burned the entirety of his hand. Yeah. That happens. We had to See, go to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. And that's, and that's the thing. If kids can get burnt, I yeah. mean... That happens. I mean, yeah. adults get burnt. But you can tell that action was taken afterwards to prevent, like, infection. Yeah, like, that clearly was an accident. Right. And clearly the truth is the burner was just turned off. I yeah. turned my back one second. He stuck his hand on the burner because the burner was probably still glowing. Yeah. And because it's those old coil burners, they don't automatically go black. And they don't automatically cool off. Yeah. And here's the thing. You could never accidentally burn someone with a cigarette. Um, Not multiple times on their head and neck. No. No. Absolutely not. You could accidentally burn yourself, probably. I've never been a smoker, so I don't really uh. Yeah. I mean, there's just a difference in accidents and continual injuries on a child intentionally inflicted he's not walking around with scraped knees and elbows no no that's that shit is normal for an eight-year-old child right so it just it's insane yeah there's just no words no words and uh arturo actually was so disgusted by the people in that office for not wanting to get involved that he has to be transferred to another office that guy he is like garcia like a fucking rock star if you see something 
say something. Yeah, and Arturo was definitely, like, following. You know what? Here's the thing about suspected child abuse. Always assume the worst. Yes. And also, it's that instance of real child abuse. You can't always describe it, but you know it when you see it. Yeah, there is just an instinct as not just a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, but just as a human being. Yeah. That something is wrong. Yeah. We all have that little inkling that something is not right. Yeah. So, and Arturo had that inkling and acted on it and did the right fucking thing, even though the people who were then responsible for taking further action drop the ball. Yeah. He's doing what he 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 did more than what he was required to do. Yeah. He made four phone calls mm-hmm. in order to hopefully save Gabriel. Yeah. But after this at this point Gabriel's attendance at school was just hit and fucking miss. And Jennifer Garcia noticed that even through all of these injuries and how much worse he looked every time she saw him, that he still was desperate for his mom's approval and her affection. And he would consistently ask her, ask Miss Garcia to put A's on his homework to impress his mom. Mm-hmm. He even stole her iPod to take home to Pearl, hoping that she would like it and give him some affection. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the part of the story that really, like, pulls at my heartstrings because this really reminds me of Caden because he is, which I don't know why he has reason to, but he is constantly trying to do things to make his parents happy mm-hmm. um not in like a oh my gosh i need you to love me and give me attention way right he's just very thoughtful mm-hmm. and like the other day he had a dentist appointment afterwards him and his dad came and picked me up we ate chick-fil-a on my lunch break nice and i got home he didn't have to go to school to the rest of the, for the rest of the day and i said what was your favorite part of your day and he's like eating lunch with you oh and you know He's constantly trying to make sure that we're happy Mm -hmm. and we don't need anything. And that just comes from his heart. Yeah. And not for fear of us disapproving of him or, you know, not liking him. And that's why Gabriel reminds me so much of Caden because, yes, this was going on. But I think that's just how he was as a person is he wanted to make people happy happy yeah and you know boo is kind of like that he anytime i'm at my parents house he'll we'll just be sitting there and he'll go aunt mac i love you yeah he and he does that to my mom his mom my mom my my grandpa dillard his grandpa yeah he just he just wants people to know that he loves them yeah and i think there's i mean there's kids out there who just are 
genuinely happy kids. Like that's just how they were born. And I think Gabriel was trying so hard to make people around, well, people as in his mom and his mom's boyfriend realize that like, I love you guys. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want you to do this because like, can't you see how much I love you and how much I want you to be happy? And of course he was overcompensating and, you know, with him like taking the iPod and stuff. Yeah. Him taking the iPod didn't have the effect that he wanted it to, of course. Instead of being getting affection from Pearl, she punished him by making him wear girls' clothes to school. And I don't know why this part hurt my heart so much. Maybe because I know that at this age, other kids don't understand mm-hmm. what's happening. Yeah. They just see this little boy in girls' clothes. Yeah. And the idea of he he already feels bad about himself. Right. You know, and that's clear from, like, some of the schoolwork that they show in the documentary of him, like, telling his mom, I'll be good. Um, I'll do the dishes. I'll be good. Mm-hmm. He thinks of himself as being bad because of the way they treat him. So that hurt my heart so much. And then him having to go to school in girls' clothes. And it's said that he walked into class with his head down. Of course. And I just, like, really couldn't take it. It was so upsetting Of course, the physical abuse was super upsetting to, like, see photos of him and hear, but something about knowing that his mom intentionally sent him to school knowing he would probably get made fun of by his classmates was just disgusting to me, but one of his classmates did give him a boy's t-shirt to wear over his over the girl's clothes and then i was oh then i was even more like hurt in my heart cuz this little kid recognized yeah how embarrassed gabriel probably was and tried to like help him out oh yeah i mean <sighs> you know i've thought this a lot during this case i can't believe pearl was even sending him to school i agree That's just, you'd think if, with what happened to Gabriel, he would think he would have just been kept in the home. Yeah. So other people couldn't see his conditions. Mm -hmm. But she just didn't give a fuck. No, she didn't. She didn't. After this incident, Miss Garcia emailed the school psychologist, hoping that Gabriel could get into, into counseling but the psychologist replied that there were no services available and instead gave Miss Garcia a brochure to pass along to Pearl. Yeah, because I'm sure his abuser would be very interested in getting him into counseling. Of course. Garcia threw away the brochure, obviously, because at this point she knew that giving that to Pearl would just result in more harm to Gabriel. Right. So she just threw it away. So, in late April, 
Gabriel came to class in the worst condition that Mrs. Garcia had seen him yet. One of his eyes were a deep red and there was some skin like peeling off of his forehead. There were marks covering his face, his neck, and his left ear. She didn't ask him what happened because, of course, she already knew. And instead, she asked him if he wanted to make a Mother's Day card. Um, this is that, you know, it's obviously almost Mother's Day. It's a big thing in schools for kids to do things for Mother's Day, Father's Day, Grandparents' Day. And, of course, Gabriel wanted to because he was desperate to prove to his mom how much he loved her and how much he wanted her to love him back. Mm-hmm. And this to me is, I mean, aside from everything else, like one of the saddest things. Um, so yeah. his little Mother's Day card was shaped like a house. And I think the teacher still has this. She does. And he was just meticulous about every detail and on the house it said open the door to see who loves you and inside of the door was a picture of gabriel and after class garcia called rodriguez again rodriguez didn't answer and she didn't call back um and this was again not noted in the case file A few days after this, Gabriel told um, his teacher that his eye was hurting. She sent him to the school nurse. He told her that he fell and begged her not to send him home. And she made detailed notes because she had really no authority to diagnose or require, you know, say he needs medical treatment. But she did call Pearl to pick him up. And the secretary told her that that was a mistake. And most of the staff knew that he was in danger at home. And that is so hard because I know teachers. Mm -hmm. And the teachers and school staff that I know, they truly, truly care about kids. Yeah. And they are, you know, even if it's the secretary, they are there to make a difference in their life in some way to brighten their day. I mean, I know there are people that are like, oh, I'm just, you know, I don't really like kids that much. Yeah. But even they still know that they are completely defenseless. They are dependent on the adults in their life to keep them surviving and thriving and safe. Mm -hmm. And for an entire staff of people to know that where he lived and where he went at the end of the day was not a safe environment, had to have just ate at them every day. Yeah, because they clearly knew there's nothing they could do. Because sh- they were probably all also aware that Jennifer Garcia was making report every time she saw something. Right. They all knew this. They all knew no action was being taken on his behalf. And I'm sure that the staff of the school was just just like Jennifer Garcia beside themselves. Yeah. By this time, as testified by his siblings, Gabriel was then locked in what was called the cubby most days and nights. And this is 
if you've seen the doc, you know what we're talking about, but it's like a short cabinet kind of thing. Yeah, like a two-door cabinet. Yeah, which is a random piece of furniture, Mm -hmm. if you ask me. Mm -hmm. And his brother Ezekiel would actually sometimes try to crack the door open, which was fucking padlocked, and try to sneak him food like a banana or something. Yeah. But the fact that even they knew, like, he needs to eat Mm -hmm. is absolutely insane it is it's it's horrifying and um the cubby is a huge part of the trial actually which we'll talk about in the next episode um because we're kind of coming to the end of this one um but the cubby was i think for most of the time he was with pearl he's they put him in that cubby yeah. every night. And a lot of times during the day, he was in this cubby. Yeah. And the ligature marks are because when they put him in the cubby, they tied his hands and feet, put mm-hmm. socks in his mouth to stifle him, mm-hmm. and covered his face with a bandana. So um, months and months, he was forced to remain in this cubby and was clearly not being fed because his brother knew he was hungry. And there Mm -hmm. some of the interviews that the um, sheriffs do with Virginia and Ezekiel, Virginia was his sister's name. Um, Some of those interviews, they ask, the sheriff's deputies ask them, was Gabriel hungry? And they said yes. Yeah. And this goes back to what Arturo Martinez saw in the DSS office, that his skin just looked like he was malnourished. Yeah. And that's like another reason why I say it. it's so surprising to me that they are still sending him to school. Like the fact that they were taking him out of this cubby and like, I mean, I'm assuming giving him cl- clothes to put mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. and then sending him to school yeah it i it's crazy it's disturbing that it even happened yeah it's disturbing that no action was taken and this was happening in an apartment complex in an apartment complex in la county i don't i don't understand i'm it every i've watched this documentary Now, the documentary we're talking about is a Netflix documentary, and it's called The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. It's a six-part series. I watched it last year. It came out, actually, so we didn't plan. We planned to record this episode today, but we didn't realize when we planned it that February 20th was Gabriel's birthday. Mm Mm-hmm. And that the documentary was released February of 2020. So this is really coming out almost around his birthday and also the one-year anniversary of the documentary premiering on Netflix, which is completely coincidental. We did not plan that. It just happened that way, which kind of, I don't know, just seems significant like this episode needed to happen. Yeah. But um, I watched the documentary 
during quarantine because my sister-in-law, Rachel, watched it. She's Mm -hmm. the only person I know besides you who's seen it. Yeah. And she immediately told me about it, and I didn't want to watch it. Oh, yeah. When she told me what it was about, I told her, there's no way I'm watching that. I can't sit through six hours of that story, which I had not heard of previously in the news or anything. Mm -hmm. But I ended up watching it, cried the whole six hours, basically. Yeah. And... April just laid in my lap. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely a documentary that needed to be made. And I'm glad that it, I'm glad that it was. I don't understand why it wasn't talked about more. I know. And it was so weird because after I watched it, I felt physically different. Like something in my body had changed after I watched it. That sounds like an exaggeration, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. And after I watched it, I just, I was like, oh my God, this is huge. And I fully expected, I didn't realize it had been on Netflix for for a month already when Mm -hmm. I watched it. But I thought, oh my God, my Facebook feed is going to be nothing but this documentary. Yeah, and it never was. Not one post did I see on Facebook about this documentary. And I also kept waiting for my favorite podcasts to maybe, maybe they wouldn't want to cover it and go into all these details, but at least mention it. Because a lot of them will mention, this is what I'm watching. Oh, this documentary is really great or whatever, especially true crime documentaries. Mm -hmm. Like, when the Anand Syed HBO series happened or the new one, The Night Stalker, about Richard Ramirez, all of these, um, they talk, they would talk about mention, maybe not cover the case, but mention it. Yeah. Every week release of the podcast I listen to on a weekly basis, I kept waiting for them to talk about it. Still haven't. They still haven't even mentioned it. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, it's like when fucking Tiger King and Ted Bundy, all those new docs came out, which, I mean, guilty, I fucking love Tiger King. I, I We watched all of Tiger King as well, but the fact that Crime Junkie did an entire episode devoted to the murder of Carol Baskin's husband mm-hmm. and didn't even mention Gabriel Fernandez... Is so off to me. Yeah, I know people are uncomfortable about it, but here's the thing. Life is fucking uncomfortable. Life is uncomfortable, and I think the ultimate goal of most true crime podcasters is to bring awareness to things. Yeah. I mean, we can talk old serial killers till, you know, the end of time, but... When it comes to missing people, um, stuff like this, stuff like uh, fresh murders, like it's to open people's fucking eyes. Yeah. And like covering unsolved cases like Delphi, you know, right? true crime podcasts that cover missing people that are still unfound or unsolved murders or cases like this where 
the community can literally make a difference. People can report if they feel like maybe they've seen Bryce Lispisa somewhere and maybe find him and Mm -hmm. will have an answer to where he's gone. Mm -hmm. Or maybe someone saw something at Delphi. People in out in the world, someone saw something. So talking about it, spreading awareness, making people aware of a case means that more people are going to keep their eyes out and it'll help solve cases quicker. Yeah. And I think that's the number one reason we chose to talk about Gabriel. It's 100% the reason I wanted, I even brought the story up. Yeah. Was because I've waited this long to just hear people talk about it. Yeah. And we, I don't want to say we were iffy, but we were kind of like, weird about it for a minute because Mm -hmm. we were we were just so confused why there wasn't more content out there on this right we understand that anything bad involving a child is top of the list worst thing yes but that doesn't mean we should brush it under the rug and pretend that it's not wrong, that it shouldn't be talked about, and that there are not flaws in the systems that are supposed to protect children specifically. Right. And talking about it and making sure that people have the resources, that they know that there's a number out there that they can call and report something if they see something. Making sure to just convey the idea that, hey, if you see something, This is not a mind your own business situation. Like you don't have to feel bad about making a report. Right. Because maybe it's nothing and you've made a report and maybe a caseworker had to pay a visit and it was a few minutes of inconvenience for that family and maybe a little embarrassing. But on the other hand, you might just save a child from having to go through this situation. Right. And making sure that all of us are aware that you can report. Yeah. And that you should report. Absolutely. That's super important information that we felt really strongly needed to be the topic of an episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important because Gabriel's not the only one. Yeah, he's 100% not the only one, and it's crazy to me that people can get away with this stuff. Yeah. I mean, they didn't get away with it, but they got away with it for long enough that it caused him to lose his life. Exactly. And um, it's just, it's inconceivable that it was allowed to go on this long and get that far. Yeah. Um. I don't understand the logic behind those caseworkers and the decisions they made. Mm-hmm. And those people have to live with his blood on their hands. Yeah. That's, I mean, some people may want to say it's not their fault or this, you know, this is a systemic failure, which it is, but they also were in a position to make different decisions. Right. So, Some of his blood is on their hands, and that is just how it is. Yeah. So um, today we're going to leave you with the 
So we're going to leave you with some resources. We'll, we'll put these at the end of the next episode as well when we finish out the story of Gabriel. Um, so <clears throat> if you see something, say something. And here's how you can do that. Um, you can go online. We will link these in our episode. You can go online and each state has a child abuse and neglect reporting system. And um, there will be a link to the Child Welfare Information Gateway, which has every state's information. Mm -hmm. We are going to give you Kansas and Missouri because that is where we are. Um, The Kansas toll-free number is 800-922-5330. And you can go to www.dcf.ks.gov backslash pages backslash report. Um, And you can also just visit the DCF Kansas website for other resources and stuff like that. You can online report there for Missouri. The toll-free number is 800-392-3738, and the website is dss.mo.gov backslash cd, and that's where you can online report or look up other resources. You can click on either of these links from the episode description, or you can call either of those numbers to make your report yeah check in next week when we finish the story please keep your eyes open and thanks to Haley and ariel for our artwork and our music yes of course of course um after listening to this episode maybe uh watch an episode of the office or snuggle with your family yeah or like run through the Taco Bell drive through Or maybe you just need to get in the shower and cry for a while. Yeah, get in the shower, cry. Turn on the Great British Baking Show, honestly. Yeah. Last night after I finished re-watching the doc, I watched Friends for a while. Yeah, I did a lot of reading last night in preparation for this episode, and... I know it makes everyone uncomfortable and I mean, maybe you're still even listening, um, but just know that we are telling the story to raise awareness that things can be much worse than they seem. And that's right. You never know what's happening behind closed doors. You don't know and try to understand that. Someone like Gabriel is probably not lying when he tells his teacher these things or if he would have confided in another, you know, adult he felt comfortable with. Because bottom line, I think kids can understand the severity of words like that. Mm hmm. But just keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. If you feel uncomfortable, it's prop, you know, your feeling is probably telling you that something is wrong. 
And because I think as a normal human being, you have that that sense in, in your stomach and in your heart that something indeed is not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to end this here. Please, please be kind to one another. And stay weird. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs>